Welcome to another episode of the Ask Aces podcast, where we connect you with science and answer common questions you may have regarding food, agriculture, families, and more. I'm Angie Besh, and today we are joined by Dr. Nathan Klicheski, a field crop plant pathologist with University of Illinois Extension and the Department of Crop Sciences in the College of Aces. Also joining us is Dr. Nick Sider, a field crop entomologist also with U of I Extension and the Department of Crop Sciences. So Nick, let's start off with you. As we know, this spring wasn't what I would call an ideal planting season. So can you talk a little bit about how that's affected the insect pressure farmers have been seeing? One of the big insects that we think about is the the corn rootworm. Um, It's been the most serious pest of corn in Illinois for quite some time. As a general rule, when you have late planting, um, especially very late planting with that insect that goes beyond um, once the insects have started hatching, you start to actually reduce the pressure from corn rootworm. Many of those insects will hatch, and if they have nothing to feed on, they'll simply starve to death. And so we expect that to to reduce the pressure we see from that insect this year. And, And so far, the reports I've gotten indicated that's probably correct. We were in somewhat of a low pressure scenario anyway um, going into this year and certainly the late planting, the very wet conditions that we had in some cases while those eggs were hatching contributed to that and should help to keep those insects down. We have some other insect pests that tend to be more of a problem the later that you plant. Um, One example of that would be our stink bugs. The Further along those populations are when the crop is at a given stage, uh, the worse of a problem they can tend to be. The more opportunity, the more generations they have in a year to build up their numbers. And so that's something that we'll be looking for late in soybean um, is the potential to have some stink bug problems, particularly in southern Illinois. You know, the further south you go, the warmer the climate, the worse that particular insect is going to be. Related to that, or at least related to the weather, we're getting into some dry conditions right now in much of Illinois. Where you have dry conditions, um, spider mites can become a problem, and we haven't had widespread issues with that. A few fields here and there have popped up, but that's something that could become more of a concern uh, if it remains dry. So that's something that producers and consultants should be on the lookout for in both corn and soybean. Well, at least the late planting season sort of helped out with the corn rootworm. Now, I know that there have been some mumblings of concern on the BT resistance in corn rootworm. Would you mind touching on that a little bit? So we have uh, two primary traits of foreign corn rootworm, the CRY3BB1, which is called the the yield guard trait. Um, We also have CRY3435AB1, which uh, historically has been called the Herculex trait. In most cases, those are now put out together in a, in a pyramided variety, a smart stacks variety. Um, and there's several other uh, pyramided types out there with additional traits that follow the same mode of action as CRY3BB1. So resistance to that CRY3BB1, which was the, the first trait that was introduced in Illinois, is now fairly widespread um, throughout the state. Uh, It's difficult to monitor for, and so we can't monitor everywhere, but where we've been able to go and look at these populations and look at their resistance status, we have found resistance to that trait. Um, However, the CRY3435, which is the other partner in that pyramid, uh, resistance is not widespread to that. It's been confirmed, particularly in Iowa, but we still have a lot of susceptibility to that trait out in the population. 
As a consequence, our, our pyramided traits, which have both, um, have actually been performing pretty well. Um, there's been very few incidents uh, reported with those. The ones that have have been primarily in northern Illinois. Um, and in some cases, there was some issue with, with northern corn rootworm and other species um, causing some of that damage in that part of the state. Um, and what we're seeing this year is right along those same lines. We're still seeing a lot of um, susceptibility to the pyramided traits out there, uh, seeing more or less good efficacy, you know, um, both where we have pressure and then, of course, in a lot of the state where we don't have much rootworm pressure, of course, they're performing well, uh, where there's nothing to feed on them. You know, we expect to gradually lose those, lose susceptibility with those traits as we go forward, um, and that's one of the reasons it's important for producers to do what they can to help minimize the selection pressure on those traits that we have and try to preserve them um, for as long as possible. And what would you say you recommend to help keep those resistances down for as long as we could? Uh, One of the best things that we can do is something we're already doing, which is rotating with soybean. Um, In many parts of the state, we have rotation resistance uh, where soybean doesn't necessarily protect the crop, the corn crop growing the following year. However, any larvae that hatch into soybeans um, are going to die. The the larvae themselves can't feed on that soybean plant. So especially if you have a resistance problem or a problem population of corn rootworm, rotating that field to soybean the following year is going to help to reduce those populations. Additionally, we want to make sure that we're putting those traits out where we need them and where we don't have the pressure, um, where we don't need to employ that trait, either relying on other methods or foregoing rootworm control in areas where we can do that. Um, But we need to make sure that's based on beetle monitoring, um, that's based on getting an accurate assessment of that population. Um, And it is a difficult insect to scout for and can be a difficult insect to make that treatment decision for. And you brought up soybeans, so real quick, could you maybe touch on the status of the soybean gull midge right now? Fortunately, that's an insect we don't have in Illinois at this time. Uh, We hope it stays that way. Um, But this is an insect pest of soybean that's popped up in particularly uh, eastern Nebraska and western Iowa over the last... um, Several years it's been developing, but last year in particular, 2018, was the first really big year for this insect. The damage from this, um, at least from the field edge, resembles a lot of diseases, actually, where you get premature death of the plants, especially along the edges of the field. When it's a soybean gall midge infestation, you then peel back the epidermis, the skin of that plant, um, and you'll find many small white or orange larvae underneath of that. They're, they're very small maggots, fly larvae. They begin their life white, and then the older they get, the more of an orangish color they get. Some of my colleagues uh, refer to them as orange slices because they're also curved, um, and they somewhat resemble a slice of an orange. Cute. Uh, yeah. <laughs> One of the interesting things about that insect, it's actually new to science. Um, it's a newly described species, We don't know if it's an invasive species. We don't know if it's always been here and just has not been a problem in soybean up to this point. There's a lot we don't know about this insect because it's never been reported before and this kind of damage has never been reported. My colleagues are working very hard on this right now, answering a lot of basic questions. How many generations a year the insect has, what we can do to control them, what cultural practices might contribute to soybean gall midge infestation. 
Um, and they've generated a lot of information in a hurry, really an impressive amount of information in a hurry. But because it's so new, there's still quite a bit that we don't know. Currently, it uh, you know, seems to be somewhat slowly moving its way across Iowa. Um, and it's uh, at least 100 miles or several hundred miles away from Illinois at this point as far as having a confirmed infestation. Um, but something we want to be on the lookout for, and especially I want our growers to be aware of if they do find any of these sorts of symptoms, uh, to contact somebody, contact me, contact their um, agronomist or their crop advisor, and let somebody know if we do find this in Illinois, we want to get on top of it as soon as we can. All right. Well, thankfully, it's not in Illinois yet, but I guess it's kind of exciting to be on the forefront of working with this new insect species, even though it is, you know, damaging our crops. So thank you, Nathan, for sitting here patiently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not a problem. Now let's switch over and start talking about some plant diseases. Now, in your case, with the unusual planting season, what do you think have been the biggest diseases you've wanted farmers to be keeping an eye out for? Well, some of the, the, the issues we have with the late planting is that um, we're going to be extending the amount of time that basically plants will be at a susceptible growth stage uh, for some of these diseases that may be <clears throat> blowing from other regions. And that's particularly the case with southern rust and corn. Um, that's a disease that's what we call an obligate pathogen, which means it needs a living host to grow and reproduce. And when the host dies the pathogen goes with it. So it can't overwinter here in Illinois. So every winter, it blows up from the South in Latin America, and then it eventually arrives at some point in Illinois. In a normal year, um, it will arrive in late July, you know, mid-August, that kind of time time period. And our corn will be probably well past the point where we need to to worry about it because it's, uh, you know, the the yield is made, it's, it's going to be pretty far along and we don't have to worry about too many losses. Uh, but when that disease comes in early in growth before tasseling, it can cause some very significant damage because it only needs four hours of leaf wetness to, to germinate. It only takes seven days to go from uh, pustule and a pustule is a, a little lesion that will have thousands of spores. Each of those spores can result in new pustules. That cycle can take about a, a week under the right conditions and so you can have these epidemics blow up and we don't have very many good hybrids out there for resistance so a lot of the materials we have planted in them are very susceptible to disease and so you need to be out there scouting for this disease and making sure that you're paying attention to the uh, the status of your fields um, so that you know that whether or not you have to make a management decision say apply a fungicide or something like that to manage the disease and so that's that's the, the biggest one I, I'd say right now, especially in the southern part of the state. And I think um, a, lot of, a lot of the fields there, we've had a lot of uneven planting. So we've had a lot of fields that, for example, a month ago, you had fields that were tasseling and right next to them were fields that were maybe knee high. And they weren't, you know, those might be just now tasseling in some of these areas. And so because of that, it's, it's been very important for people to get out there and scout for southern rust. It's the same story as we move forward. That disease will kind of continue to probably to blow a little bit north with weather. Um, and it likes it warm, and it doesn't have to be super wet for it to, to continue to grow and reproduce. And so as we get, say, north of Champaign, 
people that still have fields that are not yet um, tasseling definitely should be out there and paying attention to their crops for, for southern rust status. So we could get into a situation where one field across the road has come down with southern rust in a very bad way, but the field across the road is perfectly fine because it's a more mature field? Um, somewhat. I, I would say that, that you, both fields could potentially get southern rust, but the difference would be if the, the one field that's further along isn't likely to be at risk for yield loss, and it wouldn't be uh, practical or beneficial for somebody to treat for southern rust on a field that's much further along. Um, we know through research that, that it's usually going to be most effective and profitable for a producer to make a fungicide application between that tasseling, that VT stage, and then R2 stage, kind of getting close to that brown silk. Um, that's, that's going to provide the most economic benefit to the producer. You get past that R3 stage, and the chances for you to see a return on your investment drop off precipitously. So that's that's kind of the reason why you know you might see a difference between the two fields All right, and how you manage you. them. Mm-hmm. Now I know another one you were watching out for this year was tar spot. Mm-hmm. How's yeah. that? So so tar spot is an interesting one. Um, kind of like Nick was talking about with his gall midge. That's one that is pretty new to us in the United States. So he first had it in uh, Illinois and Indiana in 2015, and it's kind of spread um, out. Through well, we have it all throughout the Midwest now: Iowa, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, Indiana. Um, we also have it in Florida. Um, that one's kind of an outlier over there, um, and it's in I believe 171 or 172 counties. We've reported it in, coming from those initial, let's say half a dozen or so counties that we had in 2015. Oh, so, wow. so it, it it we believe that it. Um, was probably brought over here uh, accidentally on maybe some materials or some plants or something like that and kind of established itself and uh, weather has just allowed it to continue to grow and reproduce. Um, It's a big disease in Latin America and especially Mexico. And uh, we're seeing, especially last year, we saw a major epidemic of tar spot. uh, Throughout the Midwest, in Illinois, we were seeing upwards of 30, 40 bushel losses due specifically to tar spot and so now what we're doing is we have a coalition a group of us in the midwest we're all working together to try to work on answering some of the the questions we have on this disease and how to manage it because um, we truly do not know very much about this disease and how to manage it and we don't have any good resistance in our hybrids here in north america um, and in terms of the disease, the pathogen itself, we don't understand very much about it at all. Um, so we're making progress on that. Um, so this year we're starting to see, uh, and we've seen it every year in Illinois since it's been detected, but usually uh, up until last year we didn't start seeing it until like September when things were cooling down. And a lot of times, again, when you plant in a normal season, September, everything's starting to wind down. But this year, we're going to have a lot of fields that still have a ways to go in September. Um, and so the likelihood that some of these fields are going to see higher tar spot pressure, even though it's been dry and not as wet as it was last when we had that big epidemic, is still, um, I think, fairly significant. So we've seen tar spot in the northern part of the state from DeKalb County all the way out through Stark County. Um, I want to say there's 
Eh, at, at least seven or eight counties we've confirmed it in. What's kind of funny is that we're noticing in the areas where we had it most significantly last year, where the pressure was just unbelievable, we can't really find much of it this year. It's there, but it's very light. Um, but then you go out into the northwestern part of the state, that Stark County, kind of that that area in the northwest, it's, it's still not super high pressure, but it's at a level where if you get a couple of rains, it could really blow up on you. And those those areas had very low amounts of the disease last year. And so there's you know, something going on there. How the how the pathogens overwintering, or we really don't don't know what's what's the situation or what's what's happening there. But, Interesting. Uh, but we are seeing it out in our fields. It's starting to pick up a little bit. I expect we'll see more. Um, I don't think we're going to have a big epidemic like we did last year, but we might have a couple fields where, where they might have to manage the disease um, preventatively, especially if we start to see some of these rains move through like our, our, in our forecast here in the next couple weeks. So what is some of that preventative management that you recommend? So I mean, right now we know that, that applying a mixed mode of action fungicide prior to seeing that, that fungus develop up in the ear leaf and above is probably going to be your best bet. Um, this is a disease, much like southern rust, you don't want to make a revenge spray after you see symptoms um, because the damage has already been done. Once you get infected by the pathogen, it has what's called a latent period. So the pathogen actually is growing inside the tissue and sucking up nutrients and causing damage to the plant, but you can't see symptoms. And that latent period we know is at least 14 days. It might even be extended somewhat out from that, depending on the hybrid environment. So you could go, you could have conducive weather, infection, go out in your field and say, I don't have tar spot. I'm not going to make a spray and come back out three weeks later and your field could have um, have a lot of the disease in there and that's because of that latent period so making a fungicide application has to be done um, based on kind of what you're seeing lower in the canopy because it does seem like it moves from the bottom up in a lot of cases and so I've been telling people to get out in their field um, scout their plants before tassel if they start to see those black raised stromata of, of tar spot in you know five to ten percent or more of their plants in the field prior to tassel and the weather's conducive or especially if they're under irrigation you might need to consider a mixed mode of action fungicide and there there are several that have either labels or two ee um, i guess special labels that have tar spot on them and those would be our first products that we would recommend obviously because they're labeled for this disease all right let's switch gears a little bit is there any better news in soybeans soybeans well one of the things that i've been telling people is because we've been we planted so late this year uh, it's unlikely that we're going to have major issues with sds especially because we've had a lot of drought um, sds one of the things we tell people we we warn people against is early planting don't plant too early because if you plant too early you're going to be putting yourself in a situation where um, it's going to be cooler soils. They're more likely to be wet. And because of that, 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 that type of environment favors that fungus to infect the plants. It also keeps that soybean from germinating rapidly and growing rapidly. So it's more likely to have SDS problems, especially later in the year. This year, because we are, are I mean, some of our fields would have been close to what we would call a, a double crop planting, which are going after a wheat harvest in the south. I and mean, they're coming in at the same time. Um, planting into warmer fields like that 
not really conducive to SDS. And now with a, a lot of the uh, part of the northern and northern half of the state, especially, has really been in kind of a, a drought or dry period here the last month. That's not been very conducive for SDS either. So I would say I wouldn't expect to see a lot of SDS this year, which is, is good news, I would say. Um, and then the other part kind of related to that late planting is, is soybean cyst nematode, which is considered to be our number one yield limiting pest or pathogen, I should say, in, um, in soybeans. And that, that organism, um, it's a nematode. It lives in the soil. And about after planting, after your, your soybean has started to grow and the roots have uh, caused some of those eggs to hatch, those nematodes will go through a life cycle about every 24 to 30 days, depending on, on temperature and everything. Um, and so in a normal season, you, you might have, I mean, if you think about when you plant kind of earlier in the season, you're going to have more potential generations of soybean cyst nematode to raise that population and raise your potential yield losses that year and also subsequent years if you went back into those fields with soybeans. This year, because you're planting a little later, the number of generations um, is likely to be reduced. And so one of the silver linings, I guess you could say, is that you might see less overall buildup of SCN in your fields. You might have overall yield losses that are reduced. And um, maybe next year your populations won't be ele as elevated as they would have been if you were planting at a normal timing. Now, Nathan and Nick, both of you are going to be presenting at this week's Agronomy Day, hosted by Crop Sciences and the College of Aces. Can each of you give us a quick plug about what attendees can plan on hearing from you at Agronomy Day? Nick, let's start with you. Well, and a lot of it will be what we kind of talked about, which is dealing with insect management in corn and soybean in a year that weather-wise has been, um, well pretty unfavorable, <laughs> pretty crummy, you might Not ideal. say. Um, so looking at how uh, the late planting that we've had, the poor conditions that we've had, how that impacts insect management decision making um, and what we've been seeing out in the field. All right. Nathan? I'm, I'm going to focus a little bit on a new disease that we have uh, in Illinois called red crown rot. I really want to teach people more about that disease and how to identify it. And, um, you know, that's that's one that's fresh to our state and really this entire region. So it's one of those situations where we're trying to learn about it. We're just at the front of it, but I want to start to build awareness on that. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of the other topics that we talked about here today. Southern Ross, the situation there, and um, late planting effects on tar spot. And... Uh, yeah, we should have some hands-on samples for people to look at and feel and touch and smell and all those good things, and uh, so it's going to be a good time. Sounds exciting. If you are looking for more information on insect pest management and crop disease management or other topics related to crop production and management, plan to attend Agronomy Day this Thursday, August 22nd on First Street, just south of campus. Admission is free. Thank you, Nick and Nathan, for joining us and answering some questions to these important issues. Join us next time for another Ask Aces podcast.